This is Truth in the Fog podcast. I am your host, Bill Nyman. Um, so we uh, we like to continue our podcast and talk a little bit uh, more about uh, who God is. And um, the last few podcasts, as you may remember, uh, we talked a little bit about the, the attributes of God, who God is. First of all, you know, why is God different than any other God? And then we look at we looked at the uh, the attributes of God, and we looked at the, the essential attributes of God, uh, the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. And now I like to look at um, God as as Creator. It's, just, it's uh, probably the most well known uh, thing that we know about God. God as Creator. The um, the Apostles' Creed begins with God as Creator. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and uh, so it's it's an important um, aspect of the Christian faith, and um, because the God as Creator. Um, it begin the, the Apostles' Creed begins with that, and so does the Bible. And uh, all through the Bible, we we see and we discover God as Creator and God as um, Recreator, um, because from creation uh, we're moving to a, a new creation. So as soon as we open the Bible to the first book, Genesis. We are confronted with the God who creates. So a few uh, a few observations have to be made, though, uh, to understand the story and its purpose. The whole creation story in Genesis one and two has come under the microscope, and especially in in recent times. Now, I'm recent. We are talking the f- last few hundred years. Um, the Western world has approached the Bible, and especially the book of Genesis, with Western eyes. And so um, the first thing that we need to do is, um, what is the book of Genesis actually trying to tell us? And as you may remember, we, we talked a little bit about that already, that um, the, the Bible is actually the story of God. Who is this God? And we are in the first book of Genesis, we are confronted with uh, the God who creates. So the Western mindset, however, is just is just a little different than the ancient mindset, of course. And so um, we have to keep that in mind. But we have to keep it in mind when we read the entire um, entire Bible, that the Bible wasn't written necessarily for us in the 21st century. It doesn't mean that it's not applicable to us in the 21st century, but it's not written for us per se. So Genesis wasn't written for us per se either. And so there is a, there is a message to be had in the book of Genesis. Um, as you may well understand that uh, the Western world looks at things uh, through scientific lenses. So it, it tries to interpret everything that way. And we can't help it. That's just the way, the way it is. Uh, 
we are born into a particular environment and we are born in, in, in a modern slash postmodern environment where we look at things a little bit differently than, for instance, the ancients who looked at things um, not so much in a scientific way. So obviously then we must look at how do we interpret Genesis with that in mind. So we we like to look at things scientifically, that means the Western world, and and we like to reach for answers regarding how things work. When we bring this mindset to the Bible, however, and especially to the creation story, we tend to look for answers that this story does not supply. So we read the creation story of Genesis as a scientific textbook, and we miss the more important aspect of the story. So after reading Genesis 1 and 2, we then think we know how the world was created, but really that's not what the author uh, is intending here. The writers of Genesis want to tell us the who and the why of the story. As we said in the beginning, the Bible is a book right, about God and his dealings with a wayward people. So if you want to know how things happen, well, science can supply that answer. If we want to know why the world was created and who created it, then we look at the scriptures and the Bible gives answers to both of these questions. So both science and the Bible give us answers to the questions about the universe. So if we understand that all truth comes from God, we can be assured that there are no discrepancies between what science tells us and what the Bible tells us. The stories are two sides of the same coin, but they answer two different questions. And so we will concentrate on the story of the Bible and what the creation story tells us about God. Okay, so it's very clear that um, we must approach the Bible and just kind of like put on the hypothetical uh, uh, glasses of the first audience. And if we kind of get a grasp on the entire message of the Bible, of what the Bible is trying to tell us, then, of course, things will automatically fall into place because we, we approach Genesis from that angle as well. Now, creation stories were nothing new in the ancient world. So a number of people groups, such as the Babylonians, the Syrians, and the Egyptians, had creation stories, which are all fairly well preserved. And if we take that one step further, the uh, indigenous in, in Canada, the First Nations, also have a creation story that is well preserved. And surprisingly, it looks an awful lot like the creation story in Genesis. But all these stories are, are, are looking for answers. Okay, so um, 
And Genesis does the same thing. And Genesis is trying to answer um, the probing questions of the ancients. Where, where do we come from? How did it all begin? Right? So all these creation stories try to make sense of the world in which, in which these people lived. These are epic tales, if you look at the Mesopotamian, the uh, Assyrian, the Babylonian, and the Egyptian creation stories. These are epic tales of gods and goddesses engaged in quarrels and fights that ended up in bloody battles. And these battles produced creation stories where the gods created the heavens and the earth from the bloody remnants of the defeated foes. It was, it was, a, it was the whole creation story uh, of these ancient was a bloody mess. It was, it, 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 and it usually began with a, uh, with, uh, w- uh, with quarrels between uh, the deities of the day. So, in the midst of all these epic stories, we read of another story, and that's the story of Genesis, which, if we look at it closely, it's it's is far different than the pagan tales. Although similar uh, um, language and metaphors are used, the most glaring and important difference is the way uh, the Genesis creation story depicts God. There are no other gods, no demigods and goddesses quarreling, and there are no bloody battles. Above all, the God of the Bible does not create humanity to appease his every whim as the deities in other creation stories. So, in other words, um, usually these gods and goddesses and demigods, they create it from existing material they they exist they they took material they took uh, uh, um, uh, for instance uh, one story it, it it took the enemy of a deity and ripped it in two and made the heavens and the earth from both parts of that dead deity for instance um, of course genesis is totally different also um these, if you read uh, about these gods and goddesses, these are 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 um, uh, lazy deities who needed to be fed, who needed to be entertained, and humanity was created to to feed and to entertain these lazy deities. The God of the Bible is different. Uh, in Genesis, we find God speaking everything into existence, not for his own gain, but out of his divine love. The first verses of Genesis are clear. In the beginning, the triune God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God the Father spoke his word, let there be light. 
All three persons are involved in the act of creating and set the tone for the rest of the entire Bible. So Genesis is not the only book that instructs us that God created everything. There are about 32 different Bible verses that mention God as the creator of the universe. And all these verses don't tell us exactly how things were created, but all always tell us who the creator is. So the Old Testament is not the only place either where we find these um, creation stories. The New Testament continues this narrative, but adds some new information to the creation story. In the Old Testament, we read that God is the creator, and the New Testament adds some more details about who this, who this God is. Jesus becomes the instrument through whom everything came into being. So we know that. We have the benefit, of course, of hindsight. We have the benefit of having two testaments, whereas, of course, the ancients only had uh, what's, what was in front of them. So the Old Testament, right? So, so it, it is um, progressively the... Um, the ancient would would get a, a better idea of who this God is. Now, Genesis asks, well, who is the greatest God? Is is the Babylonian God? Is is he greater than any other God? Um, the Assyrian God, the Egyptian gods, are they greater than 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 uh, uh, than the the God of Israel? And then the Bible makes very clear, right from the very beginning, that no, the God of Israel is the greatest God. Because, first of all, he didn't need to create. He created out of his abundance of love. He did not create um, from um, bloody battles. There were no other demigods fighting with the God of the Bible. No. God in, in his perfection, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, created the universe as we know it. Uh, so, um, in the New Testament, we get, it, we get some, some more details, and, and we see here that um, in the New Testament, that Jesus becomes the instrument. Okay, so so of course he is the instrument, but it becomes clear to the hearers who this God is. For example, in the Gospel of John, we read clearly that the Word, the Logos, or Jesus, was indispensable in the act of creation. Through him, all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made, John 1.3. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the one through whom everything is created. 
In the book of Colossians, Paul reminded the Christians in Colossae that Jesus is greater than anything else and that he created everything. It says in 116 of, uh, of Colossians, For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. These are just a few examples of Bible passages that tell us that the God of the Bible is greater than any other made-up God. He is the real God, and everything we see around us we owe to Him. The God of the Bible, this three-in-one, this trinity, is greater than those insignificant Mesopotamian Egyptian or Assyrian gods combined. But that's exactly what the Bible is trying to tell us all along. The God we meet in Genesis is a perfect God, living in harmony with himself, three persons in one. He did not need to create, and he certainly did not create in a bloody rage. He created out of an overflow of love. God is perfect in his love, and loves perfectly. And he decided out of his love to create the universe and everything in it. So does quarreling about how he created not spoil this perfect picture? See, we are so preoccupied with the how that we totally ignore, really, the who and the why. So, um, there are many opinions concerning the issue of creation today. And it is inevitable to avoid the subject. So talking about the different views is a healthy exercise among Christians and scientists. It can remain a healthy debate as long as we remember the importance of the creation story, as we so pointed out. The main points of contention among Christians and scientists are the matter in which the universe came into existence and the age of the universe, as if that was the most important thing. Uh, like I said, we can discuss these, but remember, this is not the most important thing. So uh, there are two main views that need to be considered and can be regarded as proper Christian teaching. Firstly, there are those who take Genesis 1 through 3 at face value, literalists and believe that the universe is quite young, uh, just approximately 6,000 years old, and they also believe that everything was created in literal six days. Secondly, there are Christians and scientists alike who believe that the universe is very old, between uh, around 13.7 billion years and 13.8 billion years, to be somewhat exact, give or take, right? So they also believe that everything on earth 
which is about 4.4 billion years old, came into being gradually and over a long period of time through some kind of process. Now, some of these uh, will say it was an evolutionary process, um, but through a particular process. So when we when we use the word evolution, I, I can just hear um, you know people do uh, cringe uh, when they hear the word uh, because there was a time when the word evolution in the Bible could not be uttered in the same sentence, and those who held to some kind of evolutionary theory were not viewed as Christians. And that, of course, is absurd, and I believe we have come a long way in finding some common ground. And those who adhere to some kind of evolutionary process and take seriously the scientific findings also believe that God orchestrated the entire process. So in other words, there was never a time when God did not have his hands in it. Evolution doesn't necessarily mean creation through random chance, as if things spontaneously developed without any kind of divine guidance, as in Darwinian evolutionary theory, those who adhere to some kind of evolutionary process propose that God used the evolutionary process to create everything, including humans. And for that reason, both parties, the creationists and the evolutionary creationists, or the theistic evolutionary creationists, have the main subject in common. God as creator king. So remember that. These different viewpoints, they don't matter so much because um, what is important is that God is regarded as the creator and the king of the universe. There's one more thing that we have to look at, is, and it's very important um, in the creation story, uh, is the creation from nothing, or in other words, um, creatio ex nihilo. An important teaching um, it, it is, because um, basically this sets God apart from all other gods, and also, um, this gives us the idea that God is not a contingent being uh, dependent on any other material coexisting uh, or coexisting eternally with him, but that he, in his perfect will and love, created uh, the entire universe, everything that we see from nothing. He spoke that into being. This contrasts, of course, the stories of the other epic uh, mythological creation stories, these um, uh, the creation stories of Mesopotamia, Syria, and Egypt don't claim that their gods created from nothing. They used already existing matter to create. When we read the Genesis story, we don't 
get the impression that God created from nothing. There seems to be matter already present. He created the world. And in order to arrive at the teaching that God created from nothing, we must consult other passages in the Bible. We could even consult one of the books of the Apocrypha, the Maccabees, which says, I implore you, my child, look at the earth and sky and everything in them and consider how God made them out of what did not exist, Second Maccabees. A passage in the book of Romans in which Paul states, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not is another example. By extrapolating from different passages, we can come to the conclusion that God created everything from nothing. This means that matter or stuff has not always existed. Therefore, God, who has always existed, is greater than any stuff or matter. And God is not dependent on anything other than himself. He is what the theologians call a necessary being. Matter or stuff, including humans, uh, is dependent on its creator, contingent on its creator. Matter, including humans, is always less than God. Okay, so, so when we read the Genesis story, I, I just said that it's not. It's we get the impression. Uh, it doesn't mean that Genesis 1 um, uh, implies that matter existed because the first sentence in Genesis is quite clear. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It just, it just already implies, um, so it's more implicit that um, he created from nothing. But to get a, a good full-orbed view and a robust view of uh, creatio ex nihilo, we consult other passages we are, which are far clearer in, in, um, in indicating that God indeed created from nothing. So there are some other important implications in all of these statements, that meaning that he created from nothing. It tells us a little bit who God is theologically. If we take seriously that God created everything and all creation is dependent on him, we must also admit that God exceeds everything. He is greater than his creation and stands above his creation. In other words, what theologians would call, he is a transcendent being. He is not dependent on his creation. He stands above his creation. The idea that God stands above his creation or being transcendent can create some problems, however, in the way we treat or see God. Is he so far removed from his creation as he doesn't care? This kind of thinking can be found in Islam, which claims that Allah is so transcendent, is so above his creation, that he loses all touch with his creation. In other words, he has become an impersonal being. In Christianity, there is another aspect of God that coincides with God's transcendence, 
and that it can never be divorced from the teaching that God stands above his creation. When we speak of God's transcendence or him being above his creation, we must also keep in mind God's nearness to his creation or his imminence. There's two sides of the same coin. From very early on, we read in the Bible that God is very much involved in his creation. He not only creates, but he also sustains. So in in Genesis, we read how God created everything, and after everything was created, he rested and made the seventh day holy. Well, this conjured up images of God seizing from all activities. However, we must read this as God's implementation of his Sabbath rule. The blessing, not just of one day, but the blessing for his entire creation. God rules and runs his creation according to laws he has set up in place. Laws that he calls good. He upholds the universe the way he sees fit. We call that God's providence. So, um, it is it is one thing to look at God as the creator of the universe, um, but don't think of God as a as a deistic God, meaning that God just wound the watch and let it run by itself. No, God is involved from beginning to the end. God is involved in the creation of the universe and the sustaining of the universe, meaning that he that whatever happens on this the, the, in the universe does not escape his will. And he is involved in every aspect of it. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this. It is a lot easier to say God created and walked away. It is another thing to think that God creates and sustains through his divine providence in order for creation and the cosmos and the universe to run properly. So everything that that happens in the universe and everything that happens on planet Earth regarding animals, plants, human beings, etc., it, it is all in God's hands, and nothing escapes him. It is an awesome thing to think about. And there is a comfort in, in, in the teaching that God indeed not only creates, but also sustains. That he is transcendent, that he is different from us, but he's also imminent, that he is with his creation. He is not one with creation, but he's with his creation. The former teaches that he's greater, the transcendence meaning that he is greater than, than everything, and the imminence teaches that he is involved and remains involved in his creation. And nothing, nothing that happens in the universe escapes or surprises him.